Welcome to the Dr. Lori Mars podcast, where she interviews experts in health and science, sharing their expertise so you can live your healthiest life. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Fit Vegan Coaching, the world's leading whole food plant-based body recomposition program for Gen X and baby boomers. Founded by Maxime, whose personal journey began after losing his ex-fiance to breast cancer, Fit Vegan Coaching is on a mission to disease-proof the world through the transformative power of plant-based eating and fitness. This program is the Rolls Royce of plant-based coaching, offering all-inclusive services, personalized plans, world-class accountability, lifelong support, and more. Say goodbye to the yo-yo dieting and embrace a lasting transformation that will rev up your metabolism even post-transformation. Ready to take charge of your health and vitality? Head over to fitvegan.ca, that's fitvegan.ca, and mention Dr. Lori for exclusive bonus savings when you sign up. Don't miss this opportunity to join the movement towards a healthier, fitter, and more vibrant you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by The Healing Kitchen, your path to vibrant health. Immerse yourself in the transformative program. Guided by the combined expertise of myself, Dr. Lori Marbus, and Chef Brittany Giroudi, who has lost 70 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet. Here's what's in store for you. Virtual weekly sessions. Engage in an immersive 60-minute virtual session every single week where you'll delve into the world of wholesome plant-based goodness right from your own kitchen. Cooking with Brittany the first half hour. Unleash your inner chef as you're captivated by Chef Brittany Giroudi's culinary mastery that will delight your taste buds and nourish your body. Medical Q&A with Dr. Lori the last half hour. Prioritize your well-being during the second half hour. I will personally address your medical inquiries, providing evidence-based insights and personalized advice, empowering you to make informed choices for your health. So join us on the Healing Kitchen to help you step into a healthier and most vibrant future. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and I'd really like to welcome a very special guest who's got multiple talents and from the north here uh, in Canada. So welcome, Nicolette Roche. Um, really excited to meet you and introduce you to our audience. I think you're going to have so much to teach us. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Ah, uh, Thank you. So our good friend, Maxime, uh, introduced us and he said you were fascinating and I will have to agree um, from everything that I could find, but I'm really excited before we dive into what your work is, but can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started walking into your line of work and we'll just let it reveal itself as it goes along. Yeah, definitely. I was actually uh, working in government. So I worked for federal government, provincial and municipal government, and I was doing environmental policy development work. And at the time I was, you know, one of my, I managed 17 different projects related, everything related from air quality to water management, uh, water toxicology. Um, oh my gosh, water conservation, uh, invasive species and so on. So I was really looking at toxicity levels of the planet, of our air, our soil, our water. So I knew that world and I actually knew nothing about nutrition because I grew up eating predominantly a plant strong whole um, foods lifestyle because I was born in Africa. So my, we always had a garden. I was always eating healthy. We were never allowed to have Chef Boyardee and craft dinner and McDonald's was like maybe a once a year thing for somebody's birthday. 
So that's the kind of food that I knew. So I never really thought much about nutrition. I didn't grow up with fam. Like my parents never had prescription medical medicine bottles on their tables. Um, you know, we were rarely sick except for the common, you know, childhood illnesses. And so I was just going about life and, you know, we had a garden in my backyard with my friends when I first got roommates and had moved out. It was just what I knew. And then uh, my friend's dad, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer at 72 years old, and he wasn't given any conventional treatment. They said, you know, it's time to go home and die. You have three months to live, um, get your affairs in order. And he was a very, very busy entrepreneur. He was a public speaker. He was, you know, top realtor in the United States for Remax for 20 years. So this guy was not going to slow down. So we didn't know much. I didn't know anything about cancer at the time. I knew really nothing about chronic diseases at all. And, but we watched Bill switch his diet. He switched his lifestyle. He stopped eating meat, dairy, cheeses, cheeses of all kind, no processed food. He'd carry his own cooler around with him that had all his own food. And none of us stopped to really question what he was doing. We're like, oh, Bill, he's doing some alternative therapy, you know, and, um, and anyway, he reversed his cancer and lived another 22 years. And so watching Bill do that was, you know, it was pretty, we we're just like, maybe it's a one-off end of one person. Nobody like reverses cancer. Most people at 72 would have died with that diagnosis and, and prognosis. Um, but he lived. And so then another friend of mine, her mom, uh, her cancer returned. And then she was talking to me about it. And I remembered Bill's story. And I said, well, why don't you just do what Bill did? You know, it worked for him. And of course, like, I knew nothing. I couldn't explain what he did. I couldn't explain the science. Um, and so I called Bill on the phone and I'm like, listen, Bill, you got to talk to Emma. And I put them together so they can talk. And she's like, I don't know if I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. So I said, no worries. It's I've got this. So I jumped on a plane and I found a place that was teaching a workshop on metabolic nutrition and orthomolecular medicine. And I went and studied it over a course of a weekend. Um, well, and then that led for, to me going back and then uh, getting certified and then going and finishing my pre-med studies and then focusing my master's and PhD on this work. And so it was just, um, I would say uphill from there. It's been an uphill climb, I would say. <laughs> Yes. So tell us what is, you know, orthomolecular nutrition and studies, like what does that mean exactly? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, orthomolecular, orthomolecular nutrition, or it's really focused on how our body moves nutrients in and out of our tissues, our cells, our bones, our organs. And so when um, and I know this from doing my pre-med studies, when you're actually taking biochemistry 101 and, you know, your second year and third year and so on, same thing with the biology courses and chemistry courses, we're, we're learning about molecules and nutrients and all these different elements and ions and cations and, you know, and so you learn about these um, elements of our, our, of our existence, really, so internally and externally, but we're never really focusing on it from a chronic disease or reversal perspective or a health perspective in those courses. Usually they're talking about plants and trees and life and, you know, and so orthomolecular nutrition is really understanding like within the human body, how does our body take in nutrients? Like 
yes, we take it in orally when we're consuming it, but what happens is those molecules, those compounds from our apples and potatoes and squashes or meat or whatever you're eating, how does that move through your body? What are the, the, you know, chemical pathways that they follow and how do you keep nutrients where they're supposed to be kept and move the waste out of the body? So that's the highest level way I can describe, um, you know, I can describe that. And when we look at that, that's all of a sudden when we see, oh, wow, every part of our body requires nutrients, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not just vitamin C, by the way. And, you know, it's not just vitamin D. It's like we require 20, like up to 25,000 different molecules, um, minerals, enzymes, amino acids, you know, that we need in our body for it to function properly. If we're mm-hmm. deficient in any one of those, folic acid, spina bifida, right? Vitamin C, scurvy, you know, so if we're deficient in any nutrient, it can lead to a whole host of, of health problems. Mm. Okay. So obviously there's a depth and breadth of knowledge that's required for you to take care of someone. So tell us a little bit about your, your work and Mm -hmm. what would be a a typical patient that you see or typical person that you work with and how do you go about even beginning to look into applying your knowledge to help someone. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So this is going to seem so simple for people because we are living in a reductionist society right now where we want to reduce everything down to a simple molecule, a simple supplement that you can take. So this is why people have, you know, hundreds of supplements. They don't take them because most of them are not working Um, for most people, plus they're not even taking them in the right amounts or in the right combinations or the right molecular formula. And so, so when I'm working with a client, it's the same program for everybody. So we're also in a world right now of individualized nutrition. So if you come to me and 10 other people come to me, I'm going to give you all maybe, I don't know, 10 to 40 different things. We don't do that at all. We lead with food first. So if you eat an apple or if you eat a potato or if you eat squash, you can't even quantify the amount of nutrients that are in there. If you actually break it down, right? To all the lipids and the potential proteins that can be made from the combinations of foods. So we don't use a reductionist approach. In fact, it's called a nonspecific therapy. So if I get a client with infertility, with diabetes, with heart disease and high cholesterol and high blood pressure, and if I get someone with cancer, they're actually all going to consume the same quality of foods. And when I say quality is we have 350,000 edible plant species on the planet. If you can access them, please eat them. Okay, please eat them. And so it's not a reductionist or minimalist or limitation diet that we put you on. In fact, we just flood your body with nutrients leading with food first. The food can be cooked, it can be raw, it can be turned into a soup or a dressing or, you know, make a salad with all of those different combinations. So it's, it's, it's truly a therapy of abundance. So when we get your lab results, we'll see that you have all of these different illnesses all that with their associated symptoms, you'll see the diagnosis, we'll see blood levels, you know, some clients come to me and their blood work is perfect, in fact, but they can't get out of bed and they're paralyzed because they have autoimmune diseases, but they, they might have high inflammatory markers and, you know, an ESR sedimentation rate is high, um, you know, and, and they have a whole host of symptoms, but the doctors pretty much tell them, you know, we can't find anything wrong with you. It looks good. Your blood work looks good. So even in those clients, we treat them the same way as we treat the client whose blood work is all over the place, highs and lows everywhere. 
So we flood your body with nutrients with food first, but there's four components to the therapy to take somebody who has a chronic disease and let's say their health, if we have a, you know, a, a range, their health is at rock bottom. Okay. They've hit the rock bottom. They've come to me. They've tried everything else. Nothing else worked. We flood their body with nutrients through food, but if we just use food, they would only get up to here. And they might feel better, have a little bit more energy, but their doctors may not be able to take them off their medications and titrate their meds down. So then we add juicing. The reason we add juicing, it's because it's an IV transfusion of nutrients directly into your bloodstream, but without having to pay a doctor $350 and sit there for two hours for IV therapy once every few weeks, right? And, and when you get an IV therapy, they're wonderful. I think they're really beneficial in certain acute cases because you can just get flooded with a few nutrients, you know, over that period of time. But with juicing, we remove the fiber so your digestion doesn't have to get involved. So you actually get to save energy, but take in nutrients, which will then create energy. And we don't care about the sugar levels because your body needs glucose. So we're not worried about that. So we're simultaneously building up mitochondria as we're doing this. So juicing is a critical component. So then you might go from, if, I don't know if people can, if they're watching a video later, hopefully, um, mm -hmm. but they, their health will go up, let's say another 25%. So now their health is at about 50%. They're feeling so good. You know, they're ready to go back to work. A lot of my clients are on disability. They haven't been working for years. Mm -hmm. So then we add the missing nutrients that you just cannot get through food. And that would come in supplement form, but you have to use the supplements therapeutically, which means in very high doses, which means you can't just go to the local health food store and buy supplements because most of them, they're not the right compounds first. They're also full of fillers and dyes that you don't need. And you would not be able to take high dose, um, uh, those supplements in high doses. You'd start to feel nauseous from them and sick and, and you'd be getting too much of the wrong compounds as well. So supplements brings you up that extra 25%. So now you're at 75% optimal health. This is where you have unlimited energy, your libido's back, you're back at work, but you're, but you might still need some of those medications. So then the way to get you to the last stage is through supporting your liver. And we support the liver on with, through a daily detox. If we didn't do this, then your body would suffer from, um, overloaded, overloaded toxic reactions. So uh, you'd go through healing reactions, which is what we're looking for, but we don't want it to be the result of your body detoxifying. So we support your liver through that. And so by doing that, we actually stimulate the liver to produce glutathione S transferase by 600 and 700% more. It's the most abundant molecule in the body next to water. We produce sex hormone binding globulin in your liver, which traps all that free floating estrogen that your body, estrogens that your body doesn't need. Um, we stimulate the liver to have better communication with your thyroid. We stimulate the liver when oh, we're really helping it in over 500 different functions through that liver detox. So when we do that, it's amazing how the body is able to assimilate nutrients much better than before. So you actually are increasing your ability to get more nutrients out of the food that you're eating and the juices that you're eating versus a lot of my clients, even when we switch them to a plant-based whole food diet, they're not able to absorb a lot of the nutrients through their body. Um, they have too much mucus in their intestinal tract, and it's just, they're, they're not getting the full benefit is when they do all four parts of this together. Okay. So there's lots to talk about. So I get the food and the nutrients and the juicing. So if we step down into the supplements, how mm -hmm. do you know which supplements and at what dosing and where do you attain yeah. them? Is Are these compounded yourself? Like how, how does that work? 
Yeah, really good question. So um, the supplements are all water soluble. So we're not concerned if you're taking too much, you just pee out the rest, as well as they're not the standard supplements that you know, you would just go to the health food store that you probably have in your cupboard. One of the ways that we're healing our clients really, really, really quickly is by repairing their damaged tissue syndrome. So, and damaged tissue syndrome, there's a lot of edema, there's a lot of sodium being brought into the cells. And so there's a lot of swelling of the cells and not a lot of movement of extracellular fluid through the body. So not a lot of elimination of waste. So when we heal the potassium sodium pump, the only way we can do that is through high dose potassium and no sodium. So there's no added sodium into this therapy whatsoever. But the wonderful thing is mother nature has provided all our food to be balanced in sodium and potassium. Unfortunately, only three out of 10 North Americans are actually consuming the recommended amount of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes. So they're not getting their daily recommended amount of potassium according to you know, the therapy and, and the, the science behind the therapy that I teach, which you repair the sodium potassium pump. And all of a sudden you're able to dump the excess sodium as a result of the edema. And then the cell walls are able to heal. And then all of a sudden the cells start communicating cell, cell communication starts happening. And so, um, so with the supplements, we don't worry about, we don't need to test you for it. Um, and, and it goes against, um, I'd have to say it goes against, again, everything that our blood work, um, the way that we use blood work to analyze humans, that a lot of blood work, it's it's a moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. It's based on the foods that you ate. It's based on your, you know, blood serum levels. Blood serum levels are not always the best indicator of what's happening in your tissues, in your bones, in your organs as well, depending on the test. And it would be way too expensive to, even though we do get lab work done for our clients and they come to me with all their lab work um, from, from their other uh, medical practitioners, but with the supplements, they're, they're quite I want to say benign in the sense that they're not going to cause harm, but the amount of healing that can be achieved through them are, it's, it's, it's insurmountable. It's unbelievable. So we're increasing hydrochloric acid. We're helping the liver with liver enzymes or helping the pancreas with pancreatic enzymes so that you're, so those organs that have potentially not been doing as well over the course of you know, 10 to 15, 20 years that these individuals have been slowly building up their chronic illness. There's no chronic illness that starts and happens overnight. There, well, there's a couple, I would say, but it, it generally, well, there's, you know, there's some foundations being set before chronic disease reveals itself. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing with cancer. A lot of cancers take five to 20 years to even be detected in the body. But a lot of people will say, I don't understand how this just happened to me. It didn't just happen. Unfortunately, it's been a slow buildup over time. And so with the supplements, um, again, same supplements for everybody. Um, the, every once in a while, there might be a need for one or two extra supplements for a particular individual, if they're not responding as well in the first three weeks of the therapy, but I've worked with thousands of clients and it's very, very rare that that would happen. Like with my client with CF, we don't give CF, um, patients, um, acetal, they don't take hydrochloric acid. Um, it, it, and the research and CF research actually states that directly. And we saw that outcome, um, with our clients. So we, we don't give them hydrochloric acid, um, in the form of acetal. 
So mm-hmm. the supplements are pretty much the same. They come from a compounding pharmacy. You asked, you know, where do they come from? So they come from a compounding pharmacy. They're one tenth the cost of all supplements that you can buy at the health food store. So it allows oh. people to take them in high amounts at a very low price. Gotcha. So I'm curious on the high potassium. What about if you have kidney disease patients? Because you know, high dosing of potassium can be dangerous. Yeah. So a lot of what we're doing with this therapy is debunking existing, I'll call them existing knowings, understandings, um, theories. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's already on dialysis, unfortunately, we can't work with you at this stage. Um, But if somebody is on the brink of kidney dialysis, where the doctor's saying, you know what, this is going to be the next thing that we're going to have to do, we can often reverse the kidney damage. Um, and, And depending on the reason why, they might have chronic kidney disease, but, but in most cases we can reverse chronic kidney disease. And I've done that. I have a client in Ireland who was hospitalized every month. They, she was 27 needing kidney dialysis and we fully reversed her kidney disease entirely. Um, and they still take high potassium. And this is where the blood results are. We can't always use blood results to determine whether or not someone should get a supplement. So what happens with our clients in the first three weeks of them doing the therapy, if they were to go get um, their sodium levels tested, it would show high sodium levels. The doctors start to panic and they're like, your kidneys are shutting down. That's not what's happening. There's an exchange between the extra and intracellular fluid. And so, yes, the body is eliminating um, the sodium. It, It looks like the kidneys are shutting down, but what's happening is the kidneys are finally letting go and being able to circulate out the sodium while they uptake potassium. So there's still an uptake of salts but it's just in this mm-hmm. case, not sodium. So um, that's one of the things that happens on this therapy. Yeah, so definitely it's interesting with the renal patients, like you said, you can certainly stage one, two, and three do really well, but as you hit mm-hmm. more towards dialysis um, in plant-based diet, they do great. You just, you do they have do to be great. mindful of how much they consume and balance it for sure, depending on the severity and what's causing it. Um, absolutely. Um, and then- when you say you're supporting daily liver detox, what does that mean? Um, yes. Is this the, what, if what, because the liver does its thing, but what do you do to support it? Like, what does that mean exactly? Exactly. So the liver does do its thing. The liver is amazing organ. It's, I would say it's, I would argue it's the most important organ in the body, but you know, every organ's important, but you can go on kidney dialysis <laughs> and live, live a few years, like quite a while I won't say live a long sure. abundant thriving life it's not the most fun thing to be on you're kidney alive. dialysis yes you're alive on kidney dialysis you can be on heart bypass you can even be you know brain dead and your body is still functioning you know to a certain extent and so but the liver if you need a liver and that organ is not coming you know that that's often death for somebody so with the liver that's why I say it's the most important but every organ is So the liver does over 500 different functions that we know of today. I'm certain over the next hundred years, we'll probably discover that the liver does, you know, hundreds of thousands of functions. Um, Mm -hmm. And so everything from metabolizing waste out of the body and breaking it down, making it inert, everything from assimilating nutrients, converting certain nutrients into other nutrients, managing your hormones, like the liver does so much. So with the liver detox, it is a coffee enema that we use. Now there's been a lot of controversy about the coffee enema, but the coffee enema was actually in the Merck book of medicine up until about 1977. And a lot of people don't Hmm. know that. So coffee enemas have been used from what we've been able to find since um, the first world war. 
nurses were using coffee enemas for their patients, uh, the soldiers that were injured um, in war, in battle, and they would give them the coffee enema. And what they found is that it helped minimize pain. They needed less um, medications. They healed faster. And what we found since then in all the studies that have done, there's been about 590 studies that have been published. Some of them are N and N of one studies, you know, where an individual burnt themselves putting hot coffee oh my rectally by the enema. But I can also point out many N of one studies of people that went to Starbucks and burnt their, you know, throat and their mouth drinking right. hot coffee, right? It's just the opposite right. end of the same tube, really. And so with the coffee enemas, the coffee enemas have certain chemicals in there. It can't be done with any, uh, with, we haven't been able to find that it can be done with a, any other liquid and without any other chemical, but coffee has um, certain chemicals in there that help to dilate uh, the uh, bile or help to dilate um, uh, the vessels so that more bile is produced. The bile binds to waste that is coming through and helps it to be eliminated. Um, the palmitates in coffee are one of the things that are, you know, it's active in coffee, not active in a lot of other liquids. So with the coffee enema, the client will do it in the comfort of their own home every single day for somebody that has cancer. It's really important that they're doing these coffee enemas up to five times a day for somebody who's going through uh, an addiction to any kind of street drug like heroin or, um, you know, or Oxycontin heroin. Um, it's really important that they're doing the coffee enemas as well. They actually, there was a study done to show that um, individuals who are detoxing they from from um, addictive drug substances that they experienced um, next to no detox reactions when doing the coffee enema, but they had to wake them up in the middle of the night to do a coffee enema as well. Um, so often the coffee enemas are done every few hours for somebody with cancer. If they don't do them as the necrotic tissue from the cancer cells are breaking down, they don't, their macrophage system is not strong enough to also help eliminate a lot of the, this uh, metabolic waste from, from um, having cancer. And so then the initial patients of the medical doctor who designed this therapy, what happened is his initial patients died, but when they did an autopsy of his patients, they didn't have cancer, but they had liver cirrhosis. So that's when he introduced the coffee enemas. So the coffee enemas, I wish there was another way to do it. I wish there was a pill you could swallow. I wish you could take enough milk thistle to achieve the same results, but you just can't. But um, I know it's controversial. Um, out of the 590 studies, most of the studies have been done in mice. But even for my client who has CF, we found studies that were done on mice that were um, activated with the CF gene. And they found that coffee administered rectally was actually beneficial to the mice that had CF. And, um, and so yeah, there, so it is one of the things that is controversial. But uh, I know it's one of the things that helps my clients the most, especially because those chemicals in the coffee, like I said, activate sex hormone binding globulin production, which is really important for managing a lot of these estrogen dominant diseases that we're seeing in our society, um, as well as for helping the liver to produce the um, uh, glutathione S transferase without having to take glutathione, because glutathione is not one of the supplements we give any of our clients. So then what's happening when you orally digest coffee, making yeah. it less like, what is the difference there? Is it just because it's breaking down and digested and mixing yeah. everything? Great question. Great question. So taking caffeine orally, it is a different pathway. It's moving through the body. And as you know, with most medications, the toughest part about getting the right 
um, dose of medication into a patient is making sure it can bypass the stomach acids and make it to the liver where it can be distributed. Mm -hmm. So in, as we know, in medicine as well, some of the best administered medicines are transdermally. So through the skin or rectally, right? Because we have the hepatic portal vein system that is connected right to the colon, right to the rectum, right to the intestinal tract, where it can travel up through the hepatic portal vein system, go directly to the gallbladder in the liver without having to be ingested. As well, when it gets ingested orally, it gets distributed through the body. There's no fiber. So it doesn't have to, coffee doesn't have to make it to your digestive system to be able to be absorbed through the body. It gets absorbed through osmosis immediately the minute it touches your lips, your cheeks, your esophagus and, and makes its way through. So it doesn't have the same effect. So a coffee enema is not a colonic. It is not meant to clean out your intestines by any means. It is a liver detox is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so you lay on your right hand side, when it gets administered, it travels directly to the liver, it activates and works on the liver. And then the liver um, releases um, after 600 to 700% bile production is achieved. And then um, that, and then all the waste gets dumped. So if you have someone who doesn't have a gallbladder, is there any difference? They, no problem. Things? Yeah, they can still do the coffee enemas. Yeah. Okay. And then as far as, so this is partly, I'm guessing, from your Gerson training. So mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit about what that is and where that came from? And because that's kind of the history, I'm assuming, that you were describing. Who yes. Yeah, so. exactly. And I'm always hesitant to talk about the Gerson therapy because people will go in and Google and, you know, the cancer American cancer Association says there are no scientific studies that this therapy works, but Dr. Max Gerson published over 360 studies and wow. he was a scientist and a researcher in a lab. And he was, you know, a, he was producing peer peer-reviewed scientific studies that were accepted in most of the most advanced medical journals of his time. So he graduated in the late 1800s and died in, you know, 1956. So he spent his whole life dedicated to this. So when I say the Gerson therapy, because many of us don't know how to do research, uh, most of us don't know how to go to Google Scholar and look up peer-reviewed journal articles. So they'll research the Gerson therapy and they are correct in saying it has not been studied scientifically because there's too many variables to be studied. To be able to design a double-blind placebo trial on the Gerson therapy would be unethical too, because you would have to take individuals and only feed them a keto diet, a meat-based diet compared to the plant-based diet or a processed food diet compared to, and you wouldn't ethically ever do that for a single individual because there's you know hundreds of thousands of studies published showing that you need fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes. And so- um, and you also, you know, how do you design a study comparing organic food to non-organic food in human studies, right? So yes, the Gerson therapy as a whole hasn't been studied, but there's been uh, retroactive studies done to show there's a study that was published showing, you know, reviewing six patients who did the Gerson therapy and showing that actually, wow, these patients healed, we need further research done. But if we break down the Gerson therapy, which is the work of Dr. Max Gerson. Um, he was a German Jewish doctor who moved to New York after the war broke out, Second World War, and he had to flee Germany. Um, and so when you look at the studies that were published, he was publishing studies on the sodium potassium pump, the need for potassium um, uptake in the cells and the need for reduced sodium, um, how that compared um, in individuals with metabolic conditions. So he was researching this in the early 1900s. Um, if you break down and look at the therapy in its individual parts, iodine is another supplement that all the clients are given in high dose. 
Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're pregnant, the amount of iodine you're getting is very minimal. But I remember the day when iodine was added to prenatal vitamins, Mm -hmm. right? I was pregnant over 20 years ago and, or 19 years ago. And, you know, and I remember where I was asking the doctors about iodine and they were like, you don't need iodine, but iodine is one of the most crucial nutrients needed. If you do not want to miscarry at seven weeks. And there are thousands of studies published on iodine need in the body and also how that relates for cellular apoptosis if you have cancer and so on. So what you have to do with the Gerson therapy is you have to break it down to its individual molecular parts. There's studies done on carrots. There's studies done on potatoes. There's studies done on plant-based eating. You know, at the end of the day, what the Gerson therapy is, it is a plant, strong, nutrient-dense, 100% organic. Why organic? because we don't want glyphosate in our body. We don't want pesticides in our body. So we can then go and look at all the research just on pesticides alone. And you'll see that that has been validated. So in, mm-hmm. if you break down the therapy to its individual parts, you see that every aspect of the program has been validated by you know mm-hmm. scientists across the planet over the last, and I would even beg to say, thousands of years, right? If we incorporate traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic principles and Hippocrates and all of his philosophies and theories and, you know, research in, in health and wellness. Um, so yeah, so at the end of the day, it's just hypernutrification and hyper detoxification. And when you reverse those two conditions in an individual toxicity and nutrient deficiency, it's amazing how fast the body heals. Mm. So, you know, because your experience also with the environmental toxicity piece, do you have any, like, do they fill out surveys or anything just because what are they applying to their body? What are they drinking? Like, do you do that type of deep, um, like where they live, what they're breathing? (laughs) There's so much more. Where do you even begin with that? Like, how, how, how do you start? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I was in China training 600 physicians. I was brought over there by the Center for Chronic Disease Control and the Ministry of Health. And it was exciting because I taught, so I was teaching them um, a health history intake that I do for my clients. So that was the very first part of my training for the physicians. And, you know, normal health history intake for most of physicians in a seven and a half hour or seven and a half minute to 15 minute appointment, it's, you really can't get in depth, right? And if you're a functional medicine doctor who now their appointments are one to two hours long, yes, you can, you can get in depth with your patient, but for the norm, that's not the case. So what we do is we do a full health history. It takes about an hour and a half to do it because I am looking at where did they grow up? What was their birth like? You know, where they C-section born, C-seps, forceps, or forceps, uh, C-section. You know, did they grow up in a farming community? And if there was, if it was, were they raised around a lot of pesticides or was it organic farmland? Um, One of my clients, he had stage four cancer. He was, um, he was one of the questions I asked him, where did you live? Oh, I lived in Ontario. Okay. What town did you live in? Did you live around? Was it industrial or was it farmland? It was industrial. Oh, tell me a little bit about your neighborhood. Well, he grew up beside a nickel mining factory where he swam in the ponds that had signs up saying, don't swim in these ponds. Because at that time, you can imagine what the, where they were dumping a lot of the waste. So, wow. you know, we get into where the client grew up. Sometimes they grew up in really healthy lifestyle. You know, was it stressful? Um, you know, was there, you, you, we look at everything, the emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, environmental stressors. 
that are, you know, present to our being from a very young age. What medications did they take? Did they take a lot of antibiotics? What we see in a lot of my clients, I would say about 90% of them is that they suffered from a lot of ear infections when they were kids. And so they were given a lot of antibiotics as infants, as toddlers, and then you see the pattern develop. And so then by the time they reach their teens, they've grown up eating a lot of processed foods. There's a lot of stress in the household. And so then all of a sudden, by the time they're in their teens, they have a lot of stomach problems. So a lot of irritable bowel, constipation, diarrhea, then we get to their 20s, and then they have autoimmune disorders, then we get into their 30s, and then they have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, um, you know, and, and, and then even more chronic illnesses. So we see this patterns, but we only see that because we take them through their entire health history from birth, all the way up, or even, you know, conception all the way up to um, present day. So I'm sure that's really, um, sorry if you hear my dog squealing back there, um, enlightening to many patients. Um, but is, as far as, is there, a, do you see a common thread? Is there any particular thing that you see fairly consistent with someone who maybe is doing cancer or dealing with diabetes or any other chronic ailment? Yeah. And I do see a lot of patterns, like I mentioned with early antibiotic use, um, in my clients, um, I can almost usually when I see somebody with autoimmune disorder, I can almost guarantee that they, as children, they suffered a lot from gut health issues as well. So they, and then often I can see with my clients that have ulcerative colitis and colitis and diverticulitis, um, it's come to the point where I can almost guarantee if I ask them, you know, do you suffer from anxiety? They'll have said, yes, they suffer from anxiety um, for, for many, many years, starting from when they were a child, whether they had very stressful households or alcoholic parents where, you know, or narcissistic parents, you know, sometimes when they were the, the adult in the relationship versus being the child, you know, things like this, but we can also look at the research. And I started to see that pattern. And when I dove into the research, I did see that there is a direct, um, uh, correlation between gut health diseases and anxiety, but what the research doesn't really conclude is whether the anxiety caused potentially the ulcerative colitis or the ulcerative colitis leads to having high levels of anxiety. Um, so that's one of the patterns that is prevalent in the research. And I would love to do more research on that with my clients as well. But, you know, my theory on that is, um, you know, if I were to take all of these patients that they study and went back and asked them about their life, I, we would probably also see that same link that I see in my clients is, you know, lots of antibiotic use at a very early age, which then disrupts the microbiome, but why was the microbiome disrupted in the first place? Or, or why was their health disrupted that they required those antibiotics? You know, I raised my kids with virtually no antibiotics, um, no Tylenol, no, you know, no prescription medications of any kind, but there were a lot of conditions that I had put in place before I was pregnant because I knew I wanted to have kids and I knew the environment I wanted them to grow up in. And so I was, you know, I was privy to that. Um, Whereas, you know, a lot of parents, I think, are not privy to that when they decide to have a child. Mm -hmm. So also curious about, um, you know, speaking of, of kiddos, do you work with children or do you find that um, just helping the parents, I'm sure obviously helps the children. How do you help patients who are dealing with maybe a spouse or socially mm -hmm. struggling? Because that's a common question we get when we're encouraging people to start a whole food plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. 
Um, were any suggestions or thoughts on helping people in that dealing with that problem? Yeah. So that is, there's two parts to that question. And I'll start with the children that I work with. So when a parent comes to me and they have a child that's sick, um, usually they've hit their rock bottom. They've tried everything. Their child's not no longer going to school. Their child has ulcerative colitis and diarrhea 12 times a day, you know, 12 to 14 times a day. I'm just thinking about individual cases, um, clients that I've had, um, uh, you know, I had a client who was nine years old in the hospital with stage four liver cancer. So we actually were able to, their whole medical team applied this therapy at Children's Hospital in Vancouver to this child. It was amazing. The nurses were doing the coffee enemas in the hospital room. Uh, we were cooking all the food on the floor in the kitchen. We had to clean out the fridges of all the Diet Coke and popsicles and milk. That, those are the three ingredients in the fridge. And we loaded the fridge up with vegetables. On that day I arrived at the hospital, every child in children's hospital in British Columbia were eating hot dogs and green jello and one raw piece of broccoli. I'm not joking. Wow. Wow. Every child in oncology, first of all, a child who has cancer should not be eating uncooked broccoli. They need very well cooked broccoli to be able to digest it too high in oxalic acids. It's too hard to digest. I mean, but I'm just talking about the broccoli, let alone the hot dogs and the green jello. So right. my, she was nine years old. Um, so I've worked with many children um, as young as three years old. Uh, the three-year-old didn't do the coffee enemas, but the nine-year-old and the 11-year-old did. Um, but, you know, with the help of their medical team, because there was no other option left for them. So when it comes to working with families, um, it's really sad to say, but a lot of my female clients get a lot of pushback from their husbands and their partners. Mm -hmm. The partners don't want to buy organic food. They're like, it's too expensive. And there's no proof organic food is better than not organic, you know, and meanwhile, they've never done a stick of research um, on whether organic food is better than non-organic food. Um, so that really is a struggle. It's hard when family members also pipe in and, you know, they say things like, but you need protein. Where are you going to get your protein from? And then that makes my client second guess. So that's why in our training that it's 18 hours of training for my clients over six weeks, and it's mm. to teach them where protein comes from. You don't eat protein, you eat amino acids, you know? So if we teach the client that, and we teach the family. So that's where I believe we have such a high success rate is because when I take on a client and I do that health history intake, we do the health history intake in private for one and a half hours. The second hour and a half, I get the my client to invite all their family members. So mm -hmm. I, for example, I just did a session with a woman in Ontario and she invited her aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters and mom and dad and mother-in-law and fa father-in-law. And the reason I do that it's because if you have one person who's a know-it-all, right, and they want to sidetrack that person for whatever value system that they have, then, you know, they think you can't get protein from fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. you know, they can really um, derail my clients. And so I saw mm -hmm. that when I started doing this 18 years ago, and I was like, nope, we got to educate the whole family. So we're using an internal family systems method, which is actually a psychotherapy practice, where if you're dealing with somebody who has a health concern, and usually in, you know, psychotherapy, it's often mental health related, well, you don't treat the individual who's got the eating disorder or who's suicidal, you know, you actually treat all the family members 
in the family to understand the disorder, to understand the source of it, to help make sense of it. And then that's how you heal the person. So I've applied internal family systems to the physical um, realm of healing an individual using food as medicine. So we treat the whole entire family. And then it's amazing because of the whole family, they start cooking together. They start eating this way. So for every client I help, we usually help 10 of their family members reverse their chronic diseases as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I refer to that as a positive collateral damage. Basically exactly. when you have patients who suddenly tell you, you know, my husband's blood pressure is dropping. What should I do? I'm like, is he on medications? It's like, you need to go get him and let me talk to him right now. Well, you know, and the wife's cooking and he's just yes. eating. Yeah. Okay. And that's a beautiful way of putting it. Cause that does, I have to be really mindful to let my, the family members know if you start eating this way, you have to work very closely with your medical team, because if you are on insulin, if you're on antidepressants, infertility meds, um, thyroid meds, if you are on metformin, like within 24 hours of my clients doing this therapy, they often need 50% less insulin within oh, yeah. 24 hours. Across the board, 100%. Right? Someone, someone engages in a whole food, because I've been eating whole food diet 11 years. I've been working with patients Amazing. that long. And, um, and before that, you know, 10 years, of just as a regular physician, you know, we ate fairly well, but anyway, we have our whole family interesting, but I have three kids, they're all grown. I have a doctor, my daughter's a physician. So it's great that they're a plant-based husband. So it's, it's been fun to see, but with, with that, I didn't understand in the very beginning, how quickly someone would heal. And when I stopped 60 units of insulin in 72 hours, I was like, I have to rethink how I approach this. And it's yeah. right. And there wasn't a whole lot of data back then to help physicians no. understand. And there still isn't as far as the de-prescribing. No. There's no you know, standard guidelines. Um, lab work looks differently on a whole food plant-based eater. It's, and that's just come from seeing thousands of patients. But the, you're exactly right. If someone engages and they're in a type 2 diabetic, well, even a type one, if they're insulin resistant, will titrate down a little bit slower, but literally um, we'll cut in 50% the first 24 hours. It's right on. It's like, I can always add back more insulin, but I can't, uh, it's a little harder to do yeah. the hypoglycemia, but yeah. Exactly. Here, yeah. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought that up because it is important for individuals to be monitoring themselves. I had one client's husband put himself in the hospital because- <sighs> yeah, didn't tell me that he was on blood pressure, lowering meds. And at the time I didn't yeah. even think to ask, I, I'd assumed that there was no way he would ever turn to a plant-based whole food diet, but he was at home making all the food for his wife. And, um, you know, she had cervical cancer, she had postpartum depression, she had anxiety. So he just stepped in and he became this awesome husband cooking, making the juices, cleaning up, but he was drinking the juices and eating the food. And so then he put himself in the hospital and his blood pressure had gone too low. And um, so, yeah, that's when afterwards I was like, okay, everybody, if you're on medications, <laughs> work with your doctors to titrate those meds down. Um, and it can happen very fast. Yeah. It's it is very quick. Like I, I started working recently with a new patient. She's on four blood pressure meds. Um, mm -hmm. Even though, and her blood pressure just went from being, you know, it was like 130s, right, on four meds, dropping into the one teens, she felt exhausted. And it was really interesting yeah. just pulling off one of the medications. She's like, oh, I have so much energy. I didn't realize that's exactly. why I was so tired. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what happens. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I was like, when we're checking your blood pressure, that's just one point. The rest of the day, we don't know what's occurring, right? Um, exactly. It's not like, 
I love CGMs and all that good stuff. But anyway, yeah, no, that's fabulous. We didn't even get to your restaurant and all that other great stuff, which no. we'll have to bring you back on and talk about your entrepreneurial uh, side. <laughs> um, yeah, the mini sides of Nicolette's, absolutely. Um, this is great. So people can reach you. Where? What is your, I know you have a few different websites. Mm-hmm. Do you just go, it's spelled richer. So if people are looking for you, it's Nicolette. Roche, but it's richer.com, correct? Yeah. That be- I'm, I always tell my husband, we might, we might have to remove the accent from our <laughs> name. Literally, like nobody's allowed to say it with an accent. Um, yeah, people can find me at nicoletterichter.com. Uh, okay. So that's N-I-C-O-L-E-T-T-E-R-I-C-H-E-R.com. And that's just a great place to go to. Or if you happen to be in the Whistler area and you want to come eat it at one of our plant-based whole food restaurants, please come find us at thegreenmustache.com, but not the U.S. version of the green mustache, because unfortunately they are organic food, but organic processed and refined foods. We are not them. We have all our food come from the farms. Our farmers grow the food, they bring it to our restaurant, and we turn it into delicious, healthy meals and beverages for you. Um, So that's G-R-E-E-N-M-O-U-S-T-A-C-H-E.com if you get that. But I'm sure the links will be in the show notes. Yeah. All the links, my my son does my marketing, so he'll take that and run with it. So yeah, it's a family affair here. So um, no, that's fantastic. Well, thank you again, Nicolette, for sharing your wisdom and all your experience. I'm sure we could talk for hours about, mm-hmm. I have lots more questions, but again, I'm being <laughs> mindful of time for listeners and yourself. And um, we really appreciate you um, and continue doing your good work and helping people. That's, I'm sure is what you're part of service. So I, I appreciate that and applaud your work. So. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I just want to say that right back to you as well. Um, it's amazing to see physicians who read the research, who understand, you know, that food is first and you're doing that work. And so you're setting an amazing example for all the other yes. physicians out there. So thank you for doing that work. Oh yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of interesting stories here. So it, it's harder in the U S um, yeah. for sure. It's yeah. a, a little different <laughs> situation in our medical system. I wish we had a one payer system. I really do. Yeah. Um, I I hear you. I hear you, but I'd love to have you on our podcast as well to just share your story of how you got into this. And yeah, we love having physicians on our show that um, are able to share their expertise and wisdom as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, no, this is great. And uh, everyone, thanks for listening and spending time with us today and we'll see you next time.